Welcome to Below the Line, where we talk about working in Hollywood from the crew perspective. My name is Skid. I'm a former assistant director and your host. Today's conversation is a little different. My guest is Daryl Fannin, CEO of Kino Studios, and we're going to talk about film finance. Now, please stick with us. I think we're going to make it interesting. Daryl, welcome to Below the Line. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here, Skid. Well, I'm glad to have you here as well, Daryl. I, I am intrigued about this conversation we're going to have, but let's start with your background, how you got into the film business overall. Okay, this is a bit of a, a twisty, turny story, so I'll try and keep it short. You know, I was actually born into a fundamentalist religious group that thought it was a sin to go to the movie theater. So I grew up not being allowed to go to the movies as a kid. As a teenager, I realized like, hey, I believe a bunch of crazy things and I really want to watch movies because I read the Bible and it was full of all kinds of harrowing stories of like violence and and genocide. And there was a greater moral arc and theme through everything. And I was like, this is exactly what movies are. Um, So I went to my buddy who was watching like all kinds of movies and we rented a bunch of stuff. And one of the very first movies um, that we watched that week was The Matrix. And it melted my freaking mind because I was being red pilled with Neo, you know, like I was living in a false (laughs) reality. Like the metaphor was so perfect and it just stuck with me. It impacted me in a way and I, I couldn't get it out of my mind. I knew I had to kind of escape that environment and figure out what I thought for myself and all of these things. So I joined the army at 17 years old, um, having never even been cursed at. (laughs) So that was really exciting for me. And I, at 17, was then ripped from this existence that was like under a rock, under a rock. You know, like I lived in the middle of nowhere, hunted for food and farmed growing up to an environment where I was meeting people from all over the world who did not look like me, think like me, talk like me. And it was absolutely incredible. And because of my childhood, I was really good at following rules. And I found out that a lot of the army was just following rules. So I transitioned in the National Guard very quickly uh, while I was going to college. And I became soldier of the year in 2008, non-commissioned officer of the year in 2011 for the state of Tennessee. And I found myself sitting in the Pentagon Um, sitting across from the sergeant major of the army, the conversation that we were having was, Fannin, you can't get promoted any faster unless you go to college and get a degree. And I was like, okay, um, it doesn't matter what I get my degree in. So I think I'm going to get a degree in screenwriting because movies changed my life. They're so powerful. And again, I didn't go to the theater until two years after I had been in the army. It was 2019 when I went to the theater for the first time. And I thought that was absolutely just the most incredible experience because I was there with popcorn and, you know, like I heard group laughter and I just thought like, this is an incredible communal experience. And I love film and TV. And I was like, I'm going to chase this passion quickly realized I enjoyed writing more than being in the military. No offense to the military, (laughs) (laughs) you know, nine years was enough for me. And so I got out and uh, came out to LA in 2014. The military paid for my education in LMU. They had the yellow ribbon program. Uh, And so I was able to get 100% of my education paid for from LMU, and I got my master's in screenwriting there. But halfway through that program, I ended up selling a show to Netflix with Matt Damon and Peter Berg, and I got to write, act, and executive produce my own show. And that was like the thing that launched the career. They fired the showrunner and and never like really effectively replaced him. And so on my very first show, I was actually 
in the weeds way more than I ever should have been. <laughs> and it was me with the line producer. And I was looking at the day out of days and the scheduling. And I was digging into the weeds about the stunt people and everything that was going on. And I got such a beautiful education. You know, I had, I had done the intern for two years and kind of do every role kind of thing. And I really had a, an appreciation for every role. And I'm so grateful for that experience. But it was so different to see it like, on scale and happening and the real army that it takes to make these films. It's really absolutely incredible. And I love this podcast and how you're highlighting uh, some of those people and stories and faces. And I think it's fantastic. You know, Daryl, what show is that on Netflix? It was called The Green Beret's Guide to Surviving the Apocalypse. It has not aired um, and will likely never air. And it's one of the reasons that I think, you know, good reasons why writers are striking because this is not an equitable industry. And sometimes your IP gets taken from you and there's nothing you can do about it. It's just, uh, it's an interesting time. Frequent listeners of the show will know that I grew up in an army family, which is the entire opposite of what you did as a child. I was moving around <laughs> yes. meeting folks, even from those early years, spent a little time in the air force myself after that, before going to Hollywood, but have always been intrigued by the similarities between the military and LA, where using a similar system to approach these complex problems, again, with a slightly different background, getting into it, what similarities you saw between your time in the military and your time on set? You know what? It's actually scarily similar. I absolutely love film and TV for a lot of the reasons that I love being a medic in the military. And that is that you're working as a team toward a common goal the actual logistics of shooting film and going to war are not that separate because, you know, it's it's a lot of like scheduling, financial, you know, supply issues. It, it's all of the same issues. And instead of shooting bullets, we're shooting film, uh, as someone, one of my friends said. I think it's impressive. And the skill sets that it takes to be a good leader at war and in an in infrastructure like the military are the same skill sets that it takes to be a great leader in any infrastructure um, especially film, because there is literally a ranking system throughout, you know, the the ADs, for instance, and and you know you learn about how to stay in your lane when you're in the military. That's so helpful. You learn how to follow rules. You have a very strict set of like communication guidelines. So when you're on the radio and you're calling 10-2, because that's what it is, <laughs> it's a lot of skill sets that bizarrely transfer. And I think that uh, especially when it comes to leadership and problem solving, I would have never been able to produce at the level that I have been had it not been for the U.S. military. And I'm so grateful for the warrior leader course and all of these other things um, where I began to learn the military decision making process, where I began to actually lead large scale groups, because whether you're on a convoy down to Katrina or you are uh, gearing up to shoot an independent film with a, you know, way less budget than you actually need, you learn very quickly how to communicate in a system and follow those rules to make sure that everybody gets there. And I know like following the rules is, is ironically not something that a lot of creative people do, but we're very grateful for the rules on set because it keeps us all safe. And I think that structure allows the ridiculousness of the creatives to uh, flourish in a fun way. Well, tell me what it was then about your experience that got you interested in film finance and the technology behind it, where we might be going with that. 
when I was doing Green Beret's Guide, at, at the end of that show, um, let's just say it didn't go the way we wanted it to. Uh, we were not compensated for a good deal of the work that we did. And I watched people that I, I know and love, like chose to get out of the industry because they were not able to keep their doors open. Vendors who weren't paid out had to shutter, um, you know, it was it was a very interesting thing to watch firsthand. And, and when that first happened to me, when, when our show was canceled, I thought, woe is me. I'm the only person in the world. This sucks. You know, like I had everything and I was Icarus. I flew too close to the sun and I was really upset. And then I started looking around and I realized that this inequitability was happening across the board. And I'll give you a few examples of that. When I was working on my show, uh, one of the stunt people who were uh, involved in the Deadpool movie crashed and died. And I remember sitting down and looking at my day out of days and my budget and thinking, you know, the guys who are doing stunts on my show, uh, they are literally putting their lives at risk here uh, to make a really cool, incredible piece of art, yet they don't participate in any of the profits. So no matter how big this movie is, no matter how many billions of dollars, this person who is literally risking their life to help make this doesn't see any upside. That doesn't seem very fair to me. I have a friend of mine who created a billion dollar franchise and he made a couple hundred thousand dollars. I have friends who have been on like seven seasons of television as series regulars who have to continue to work as baristas. And these are the actors who are often paid better than a lot of the below the line individuals. And we have lost in this industry what used to be a residual system and a way to continue to earn. We've lost that. And so we've just seen the budgets get slashed and people get paid less and less. And then there's fewer productions that are happening. And so then it just erodes away at the foundation of this industry. And it bothered me. And I realized like, I one, I think I can finance movies in a more efficient way and take advantages. Like there's all kinds of amazing technology that exists that solve some of the unique problems that we have. So if I'm using my military decision-making process, I realized like, oh, I can fix a bunch of these things that are having a bad impact on my finances very quickly using technology. And so that is kind of the weird way that I got involved. And, you know, I was still selling shows and like pitching shows. And I didn't want to be here as an entrepreneurial CEO, but I saw a problem in this industry that I knew I could fix well, maybe not me, but I knew that I could surround myself with enough brilliant people who were capable at their own jobs that we could solve this problem and provide a lot of value. We've been talking about this for about a year now on stages and technology conferences in Paris and Lisbon and all around saying like, hey, we have an opportunity here. I'm very excited about the fact that we're rolling into the physical productions of these films because I think what we're doing is going to be a lot of fun. Well, Daryl, go a little deeper with me because there has been these moves in finances and the idea of new technology. But the first reaction that people are going to have, the first reaction that I had is, while Bitcoin was really not a great thing for people to get involved, a lot of speculation. I'm seeing yeah. opportunities for people to try to raise money in similar ways. Tell me how what you're talking about is different from that. And then more specifically, how it's going to address this issue of people not getting paid. So I think there's a few ways that we approach this, and I'm going to stick to the technology infrastructure for now, which is the most boring part, but I think it's the most interesting because it really provides the most opportunity. Let me just kind of oversimplify things here uh, and forgive me for distilling this down, um, but I think it's going to make it accessible. Right now, we have a problem in this industry with transparency, and there's a lot of inefficient ways that we make payments. So we like literally will stuff cash 
into envelopes to do payouts because this is more efficient, you know, if we're, we're doing per diem or whatever, than it is for us to try and figure out how to pay people otherwise. Now, we do know that financial technologies exist and these technologies such as Venmo, where I can send you $100 right now and you receive it immediately like that. And yet somehow, because of our infrastructure, we don't have a well-designed feature set for this. So I think that Bitcoin is a, actually an interesting example because it's completely speculative. It exists as a coin that people invest in, so it can go up and down in value. You know, there are copycats of that that provide no real value in the world that are open Ponzi schemes. And we see people participating in that, and that's terrifying. And the reason why this technology is used this way is because this technology is really good at exchanging value faster than any other technology in existence. And it's why I get so frustrated because when I go to pay my rent, I have to go get permission from my bank and say, hey, I'm going to take X amount of money out of your account. And it can take it can take days or weeks to settle when in reality, we can do that in a flash. I have friends who have gotten paid for jobs when they were actors and, and crew, and they have been paid for jobs when there had been multiple episodes aired. So they shot the episode, they edited the episode, and they aired an episode week after week. And three weeks in, these people are owed thousands of dollars that they need to pay their bills and they can't get them. And so they're having to go pick up a second and third job. That is ridiculous and absurd. Uh, so my brother is our CTO. So when I went in the army, he went into engineering. He built the biometric enrollments for TSA PreCheck. He's he's brilliant and he builds very scalable technologies. And when I was explaining to him the issues that I was having on Green Beret's guide, and remember this is back like 2017, 2018. When I'm explaining the issues that I'm having on set there, he, he's going like, this is so absurd. We have technology that solves this. As the NCO, I'm going, this is so absurd. We have technology that solves this. As the leader, I'm going like, we can just do this better. And so we brought together a bunch of people to do that. The other thing that I really like about this technology, and people don't understand, the real value of this technology is that it can protect you from AI because it's on a decentralized server, meaning there's not one source of truth where somebody can hack in and it's being constantly scanned by AI. You can actually own your own information and know that it's safe. Secondarily, this allows for instant transparent financial transactions. So when you're doing it in a smart way and you're building in a smart way, you can see a ledger of where that money goes instead of how it works right now, which opens us up to Hollywood accounting and a lot of other very like complex transactional things. We're able to clean all of that up and say, here's an immediate ledger. It takes nothing to audit because it's right there in front of you and you can access it at any time. That's extremely valuable. And then finally, I think it's just so important to understand that like these blockchain companies and these NFTs, they're using a technology, but it doesn't mean that they're using the technology in the way that it should be used or is most valuable. I have a spatula and I have a shovel. And if I use that spatula to dig a hole, I'm going to be pissed. And if I use that shovel to flip eggs, I'm going to be upset, even though they seem like they could be similar. I don't know why that came to me as an example. That's an absurd example, but I hope it at least illustrates the point that there are technologies that are being used in really bad ways. And we just need to be smarter about how we use those technologies and smarter about how we build and make sure that we're building in a safe way, because we all know that we can get paid in a shorter amount of time and that we can reduce that inefficiency. And we're building the technology to do that. We also are building, and this is kind of another value that's 
separate, but we're also building the technology to connect creators and above and below the line workers to the fans of their art and they can provide value to each other. So we're giving this like, it's almost like a, think about it as a marketing arm for our company where we let fans go behind the scenes of our movies. But that also means that we're highlighting the importance of the jobs that are often not highlighted and we're saying, hey, look, this is really valuable. We need stuntmen. We need grips. We need gaffers. We need hair and makeup. We need PAs because they provide a crucial role. And it allows us to justify and bring awareness to the fact that we're being undercompensated for our work right now. Well, Daryl, that's one of the things that intrigued me about Kino. Before we talk more about the behind the scenes, though, talk to me about the founding of the company and these larger goals and what you see as next steps for Kino overall. Kino was brought into uh, this world really because I was trying to fix equitability for the above and below the line workers. I think that we even the fact that we distinguish those two, I think, is very unfair. And I get that it helps uh, in distinguishment. You know, we had NCOs and we had just the regular enlisted and we had officers and there was there was distinctions in hierarchy. And I appreciate that. But I think that the way that we think about compensation um, we should not have a line at all. And what I'm saying is that everyone works together to help create a piece of art and create value in that art. And I think that when that piece of art goes into the world and it makes billions of dollars, that everyone who worked on that should have a piece. Even if it's just a small piece, they should have a piece of that because they created it. It was with their labor that they brought value into the world. And technology companies... So the studios probably won't want to admit this, but Netflix gives their employees stock options, right? Because they want, especially for early, you know, everybody who works in my company owns a piece of the company because then we're incentivized to work as hard as we possibly can and, and to do what we can because we're building our own wealth. And I think that's the problem with the way that this industry is kind of shaken out is that we have a lot of people who are not in financially incentivized to even make great art. And they're out there and they're killing themselves anyway because they love what they do and they're passionate about it. But we have to make sure that we are equitable as the future of this industry, like as the disruptive technologies come about, we have to make sure that we're championing the right people. And I think the right people are the artists and the ones who are actually creating the value in this world. We alluded to it earlier that as part of the outreach program for the studio, you are having this behind the scenes approach. Tell me more about that, what your goals are and, and how that's going. Actually, it's really amazing because we have been doing live streams and we've, we've been averaging about a quarter of a million people that have showed up to these live streams that's together. We've had some that were way more, uh, some that were a little less. But what is amazing is that there are a lot of times people showing up for things that you would not expect, like wardrobe gets a ton of love. Um, and people are just curious about how we go that way. When we're talking to gaffers or we're talking to a director of photography about their process, that is interesting to people. It's really amazing to me because people don't think about it. We've done interviews with sound. We've done everyone because there's value that's being created there. And it's interesting. We, we know that there are so many talented people who have worked on award-winning shows and they never get the credit because nobody thinks about the sound. And that's a beautiful thing. We don't want them to be thinking about the sound unless it's John Wick and you're just cringing because that sound was awful and it was a disgustingly amazing kill. 
Otherwise, <laughs> we don't want to be thinking about the sound. And that's a great thing. That means that you're doing your job. But just because you're doing your job and you're doing it well doesn't mean that you shouldn't be able to share your art with the world. And so what we've done is we just tried to create an opportunity for everyone and their art to be appreciated. Because a lot of times people do not understand the art that goes into this hard sweat equity labor. Like it is not easy to hold a boom for hours on end. It is absolutely miserable to be lugging around, you know, carts and dollies and shit all day. Like the below the line people are completely under-recognized. And I felt like that's kind of the way that it is in the military, ironically, you know, like <laughs> there's a lot of jobs where people just do not appreciate the hard work that's done because they're not Navy SEALs. <laughs> and I think that's cool. You know, like we need all of those things. And for me, it's just a little bit more of the democratization of film. I want to make it accessible, every point of it accessible for everyone. And when we do that, we can build a community of people who love film, who want to support the arts, and then we can support each other and provide direct value. So the creatives and the creators and the hard workers and the fans get together and we can share value with one another and that's the community that we're building. And we just broke a million monthly engagement, which I am so excited about. Our community is growing and I am very honored that we have had some really impressive creators join us on this journey. So Darrow, you're talking about new financing. You're talking about a different approach. Clarify for people what's different about Kino Studios and say Legion M, the effort which is essentially crowdsourcing films. The biggest thing is one right now we're uh, we're not crowdsourcing our financing. Um, we are technically a crowdfunding portal registered with the SEC, but we are not turning that feature flag on because to me, I don't want to allow fans to be able to invest until I can prove to them that this is a viable, valuable asset. And I think that it's going to be super interesting when we do that, but I want to make sure that I can guarantee wins. So all of our productions that are going through our pipeline right now um, have outside financing. So they're financed in the traditional way. Either that's through a film fund that was set up under our ecosystem or outside financing. They have outside distribution, outside producers. We are developing some in-house IP and content. Uh, we should be dropping uh, announcements in the trades in the coming weeks. We got approved for our SAG waiver and we are deep in the casting right now, which is really exciting. But uh, the, the biggest distinguishing factor is that we give fans access. We let them go behind the scenes so you can do Q&As with the cast and crew. You get updates from sets. We do live streams. We do really cool giveaways. We're going to give away the car that one of the leads drives uh, in one of our films. We have activations with really great talent that I can't yet talk about. We have a SAG waiver for one of ours. Others are in different stages of approval process. But I am very excited uh, about the fact that we're rolling into production on those. We're not taking fans' money and then making the movies. We are making fans and then we're giving you access to go behind the scenes to engage with the people who are creating. And that is above and below the line. So as we're working on set, I'm really excited to sit down with makeup and talk about um, the unique looks that they're bringing in wardrobe and how they bring personality through. Not everyone, I know below the line, people are automatically going like, I don't want to have to, this is not a mandatory thing. You know, this isn't something you have to do. <laughs> but what I've actually been surprised by is that I think there's a lot more people who want to share their art than we realize. And they're just not given a microphone. 
Well, Daryl, certainly the point of this show is similar in the sense of uh, highlighting those folks that have those below the lines. And I'm intrigued to see it sort of tie together with what could be changes for the industry overall. If people want to learn more about Kino and this behind the scenes pass that you're offering, where should they go? Kino.studio, K-I-N-O dot S-T-U-D-I-O. We have uh, an app on the App Store. If you look for Kino Studios, K-I-N-O Studios, um, you can download it. Feel free to reach out to us. We are um, constantly launching new features. So we just launched in the App Store like six weeks ago. Um, We are brand new testing. We love user feedback. And we're going to be making announcements, hopefully in the trades very soon for our upcoming projects. So uh, stay tuned. Now, Daryl, you talked at a very high level about the technology behind it. If someone was intrigued by that and they wanted to learn more about how blockchain is changing this or what your vision is for this coming together, is that also available for the Kino website or is there somewhere else they should go? You can definitely find some of the talks that we did at the Metaverse Summit in Paris, at the NearCon in Lisbon, and at the, oh, and Ethereum Barcelona. We have several talks on our Instagram too, at Kino Makes Movies, if you're interested in that. Also, Kino.studio, we have blogs uh, as well. And then you can always reach out with questions. We're busy, but we try to be as responsive as possible. We are building a community for filmmakers. So, Skid, this was such a great conversation. I really appreciate the time. I hope we can make a real impact because all of the sweat equity that's put into these films, I believe that you deserve to own a piece of it. It's your art too. It's your work. Let's raise the whole group together. I think that this is an opportunity for us to really uh, do some cool things. So thanks for your time. Well, Daryl, that's going to be a wrap for us, but I think we're going to be talking more about this. Congratulations and good luck. Thank you so much. Listeners, I appreciate your feedback. Y'all find my contact info at our website, belowtheline1word.biz, that's B-I-Z. You'll also find past episodes and links to all of our social media, so check it out. Daryl, you can't mention the specific films. Like you said, you got that one waiver, but obviously that's negotiated now. Any other shout outs you want to make? You know, Skid, one more thing your listeners might be interested in as well. Um, we are actually launching a film festival. Uh, so it's a short film festival, uh, 20 minutes or less. And um, there are two categories. It's like shorts and micro budget. But the cash prize is $25,000 grand prize winner. So if that's at all interesting, I would definitely check us out. Kino Short Film Festival, you can check it out at the same website. So kino.studio, K-I-N-O dot S-T-U-D-I-O. Well, we'll help get the word out there. Thanks again for being here. Yeah, this was amazing. Thank you so much. My closing credits, thanks to Curtis Five for our music, John Juan for our logo, and to all of our listeners, I appreciate you. Please rate us wherever you get your podcast and tell your friends. Thanks again from Below the Line.